So turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Jude. And as you're turning there, I just want to give you this idea right out from the gate. All right, so if you're taking notes, here's the idea that we're going to just camp out on and flesh out on and look at uh, this idea in the book of Jude that I believe um, is highlighted as Jude closes out this book. And it's this idea. You ready? Here it is. You don't lose out in life when Jesus is Lord of your life. Understand that? You and I don't lose out in life when Jesus is Lord of our life. And don't we get caught up in that lie sometimes? Like we get caught up in this lie that if I acknowledge with my life and that I live my life in a way to where Jesus is Lord of my life, that when I live my life that way, that somehow I'm going to miss out on something. You ever think that? You ever get caught up into that lie that if I live with Jesus as Lord of my life, that means His way, according to His word, for His glory, that when I live my life that way, that I'm going to miss out on something. I've, I've struggled with that thought. You've probably struggled with that thought. And so let's just debunk that thought as we start out this message right now. Because let's think about it. What would I miss out on? If I live my life God's way according to God's word for his glory, if I live my life, what am I going to miss out on when I live my life as, as though Jesus is Lord of my life? What would I miss out on? Would I, miss, I would miss out on deep wounds through bad relationships. I'd miss out on that. Because I would want to conduct those relationships in a way that's contrary to God's word and I would want to do them my way and which is driven by selfishness. So you know what I would miss out on if, if I didn't live my life with Jesus as Lord of my life? I'd miss out on deep wounds in my relationships. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a really missing out on something. Miss out on deep wounds in my relationships. I thought about this. I would, I would experience failed relationships. Failed marriage, failed friendships, failed familial, familial relationships. Well, I'd miss out on that. I'd miss out on mismanagement of my finances because I wouldn't conduct my finances in a way that coincides with God's word and, and conduct my finances in a way that would demonstrate that Jesus is Lord of my life. So you know what I'd miss out on if I live my life my way and not the Lord's way? Man, I'd miss out on... My finance is being mismanaged. Man, sounds like I'm missing out on a whole lot when I live with Jesus as Lord of my life, right? What about this? Lack of contentment. Because say, man, I want to live my way. Because I believe that I'm going to lose out in life if I live my life according to Jesus being Lord of my life. And I'm going to miss out on something. So what am I going to miss out on? Well, I'm going to miss out on this lack of contentment in this and this hole that cannot ever be filled and fed. Yeah, I'm missing out on a lot. Like We're so susceptible to that lie, are we not? So susceptible. And the enemy loves to tell us that lie and for it to dominate our thinking that I'm going to miss out in life if Jesus is Lord of my life. And it's such a lie. And it's the enemy's tactic and it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when 
The enemy, Satan, is in the form of a servant and he's tempting Eve to sin. Remember that story in Genesis chapter 3? And the serpent comes and Eve's there at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the tree that the one tree that God told them not to eat of. They could have every other tree in all of Eden that God created in this paradise and utopia, but he said, this one tree you can't eat of. And the enemy starts off saying to Eve, did God actually say, like, how many times has that plagued your mind? Well, I know what God's word says. I know I'm not going to miss out in life when Jesus is Lord of my life, but we have in our mind, and the enemy still does it to us, did God actually say that you can't do that? Did God actually say that you should do this and not do that? And he does that with Eve all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And we know what happens if you're familiar with the Bible at all, or you even went to Sunday school or vacation Bible school during the summer, that Eve gets caught up into thinking that God is shortchanging her. That she's going to miss out in life if she's obedient to what God has told her to do. That she's going to miss out in life when she's acknowledging Jesus is Lord of her life, and we know what happens, and the enemy says, here's why God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit, because he knows if you eat of it, you'll be like him. He's shortchanging you. And we know that's not the reality. See, what we think we will miss out on when we live our life in such a way that Jesus is Lord of our life, we would never want that anyway. And so I want us to go into the last two verses in Jude with this idea that I gave you, that you and I don't lose out in life when Jesus is Lord of our life. And so I want to invite you in Jude, notice I didn't say chapter because there's only one. I want you to look at Jude 24 and 25. And those of you who call this place your home know we say these two verses every week before we leave. So it's, we probably ought to just every once in a while remind ourselves why we read them. You think that'd be a good idea? I think it sure would. Let's read them. Let's read them. You ought, some of you have this memorized if you've called this place your home for, if you, especially if you're here 12 years, which is how old the church is. Look at Jude 24 and 25. Look at what he says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Some of you are reading it. Let's all just read it out loud so we're all on the same page. All right, let's start over. Let's just all read it together. All right, I love hearing you say it out loud, so let's just do it. You ready? It doesn't even need to be on the screen because hopefully you have your Bibles opened. Jude 24 and 25, let's start it again. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You know, I love what Matthew 10.39 says. And Jesus says to those that are listening because he knows there's this lie that's prevalent in human flesh that I'm going to lose out in life when Jesus is Lord of my life. And Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. Like whoever, in other words, whoever lives their life and it's all about them, that it's not Jesus is Lord of their life, they're Lord of their life. 
that when you live your life like that, you actually lose it. Though your intention is not to, you actually lose it. You come to find out that everything that you thought you wanted was not what you truly wanted. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever acknowledges that my life is not to be lived for me, but my life is to be lived for my Lord, you'll actually find what you're looking for. So the title of this message is simply, Jesus is my Lord. And what I want to do this morning is show you what Jesus, our Lord, does for us. Because we've been in this series for the past five weeks, this being the fifth week, talking about the benefits and the blessings that we have through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That if I place my trust in Jesus, perfect life lived for me, perfect death died for me, and three days later he rose again from the grave so that I can place my trust in Jesus Christ and have hope that I have a relationship with God today and will be with him forever for all of eternity. That if I've done that, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we've looked at the different passages of Scripture throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, looking at the tremendous blessings that we have through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning, another one of those benefits and blessings by having a personal relationship with Christ is that today I can call Jesus Christ my Lord. That's a blessing. That's a benefit. That's something I ought to rejoice in. Not thinking that I'm going to lose out in life, but actually when Jesus is Lord of my life, I don't lose out in life, I win in life. Both today and for all of eternity. And so in this passage of scripture, what a tremendous two verses in the New Testament, which is why we read it every week when we walk out of here. But what I want to do this morning is just show you a couple of things that Jude emphasizes here in these two verses that are benefits of Jesus being my Lord. And if you're here today, and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, I, I believe God has you here because he wants you to hear this. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he wants you to hear this so you can remember it, so it can be in the forefront of your mind, so you can live your life not thinking, I'm going to lose out in life, but man, look at everything that Jesus Christ has done for me because he's Lord. Here's the first one. Jesus, my Lord, number one, supports me with his strength. He supports me with his strength. Look at what it says in the first part of verse 24. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Like, that's Jesus, my Lord. He's able to keep me from stumbling. Now, here's what you have to understand for you to really get the color of of that phrase and understand the context with which Jude is writing. New Testament scholars don't know exactly the audience that Jude is writing to. We know it's the early church. Most people believe Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. I say half-brother because God was Jesus's father. But Jude is, was related to Jesus, which can we just like, just kind of hit pause and do a little commercial? Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? Like, you could never say, well, well, Jesus did this. You could never say that. It's just a commercial. All right, let's go back. 
So Jude, at some point, comes to realize who Jesus was more than his half-brother, but he was Lord and Savior. And Jude writes this little book to the early church because here's what was going on in verses 17 through 22 if you point your eyes up there we won't have time to read it but there was a concern because what was going on in the early church is you would have people that would join the church the early church and and would look as though they had placed their faith and trust in Christ and then persecution would come and then they would leave they would say this ain't for me I'm gone and what it did in those that were still a part of the church who had placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ it began to worry them and they're saying, man, is that going to be me next? Like, is my faith not going to be strong enough to endure testing and persecution? I mean, I remember my friend, man, it looked like what, what they did was real, but now they've just totally abandoned it and they don't even seem to care. We've seen that, have you not? In your life, I've seen it in my life. I've gone to school with guys that I served alongside of, interned with, and now they are atheists and they don't even believe in God. And so maybe you even sit here today and you're, and you're worried because they're like, man, is there something that I could do that could cause me to lose my salvation? Like, am I really secure in knowing that when I pass from this life to the next that I will be with Jesus Christ forever and ever? And, and for some of you, there may be a fear that, well, what if I do something that, that Jesus Christ hasn't forgiven? Or am I going to fall away? Is there, I, I have friends who have done that, and that's the fear that's going on. When Jude writes this book. And so when he says to the church, hey, before I close this out, I want you to realize this about Jesus your Lord. He is able to keep you from stumbling. That word keep means to guard closely. Like to guard it. Like nobody's getting in. That's what that word means. It mean, that's what that word keep means. And then that word stumbling refers to this. It doesn't refer to a sinlessness. Because I sin, you sin, it doesn't refer to a sinlessness that when I place my faith and trust in Christ, that that means that I don't sin again. If that's the case, we're all in trouble. It's not what it means, but it has this idea that Jesus Christ will preserve us from abandoning the faith. Think about it. You ever watch a trapezist? Is that how you say it? A trapeze guy, I'll just say that. I'm not sure what the real term is. But the, but the guy or the lady that's on the high up on the trapeze, and I was watching this movie, I don't remember the title of it, and it was about him, this guy that back, I'm thinking it's in the 70s, like went across the Twin Towers when they were up, and, and you're watching that, and, and you know how when you're watching a trapeze artist and they're walking across, there's like, everybody's like on the edge of their seat, right? I remember when I was in camp, one time in summer camp, and, and I went on one of these giant swings. You know what those are? Like you get all harnessed up and they, and they draw you up super, super high and you have no idea, like everyone else can see when you're about to hit the top and that thing clicks and you go down. But when you're up in it, you don't know how high. You're thinking, I've got to be there by now. And you're not. And I remember before I got on that thing, the person is instructing you on exactly what you need to do. You need to lock your legs. You need to do all that. Let me tell you something, man. I'm right there with that person. I'm listening to every single word. My mind's not wandering. I'm right there. Right? You ever experienced that? If you've done that or skydiving and that person's instructing and man, you're right there. You're not wandering. What about person who rock climbs? 
unless you're one of these crazy daredevils, you know what you love most about rock climbing? That rope that you're attached to. And you're making sure that that rope is strong. You're making sure that those clasps are strong. Why? Because every single one of us have a fear of what? Falling. Every one of us. I go up in that swing, what's the one thing? To get out of that thing when I'm done, even though I loved it, I'm getting out of that thing and I'm able to walk away and I don't do something stupid and wrong that's going to cause me to fall. Why are we so mesmerized by the trapeze artist? Are they going to fall? Why when you climb a rock and you're rock climbing, are you concerned about your rope? Because you have a fear that I don't want to fall. Some of you, when you're up on a stepladder five feet high, what are you concerned about? I don't want to fall. We have a fear of falling. Am I going to fall? Am I going to hurt something? Am I going to die? And here Jesus says in relation to our spiritual life and our relationship, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Jude gives tremendous words of hope. And he says, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. Man, that ought to give you hope in your walk with the Lord. That when I came to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, when God opened up my eyes to realize that I'm a sinner, that there's nothing that I can do to earn a relationship with God in and of my good works, that when God opened your eyes to that reality, here, listen to me, your strength didn't save you. God did. God opened up your eyes. And so if there's nothing that I could do to save me, what Judah's saying is, listen to me, it's not your strength that saved you, and it sure isn't your strength that's going to allow you to keep walking this walk with the Lord. It's not your strength. It's not my strength. It's his strength. He's able to keep me from stumbling. That ought to give me hope in your walk with the Lord today. If you're struggling today and you're like, man, I'm just struggling with this temptation and this sin in my life, listen, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. If you lie awake at night and you're wondering, man, if I really die, am I going to be with Jesus Christ forever and ever? Wait a minute. Jesus Christ did that work for you. That's not dependent upon you. He's able to keep you from stumbling. You're not going to fall away if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And what Jude is saying here is if someone does walk away and never has a relationship and is able to walk away from that, then they, we need to say, were they saved in the first place? Because according to this passage, if you are, Jesus Christ is the one that keeps you from stumbling. Not sinlessness, but falling away. I want to read a couple passages of scripture that give this same idea, the same hope. Psalm 27, verses 23 and 24 says this, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, look at this. He shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. That's hope. That I'm going to fall. I'm going to sin. I hope not, but I'm gonna, I, I may sin this afternoon, but here's the beauty of it. Is I can confess that and repent of that, and that doesn't affect my salvation, my personal relationship with the Lord. That I'm secure that he is the one who's able to keep me from stumbling, from falling away. He upholds me with his hand. Jude 
John 10, verses 28 through 30 says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Like if you're part of the family of God, are there going to be times when we wander? We don't desire that, but unfortunately there can be. But at the same time, eventually I'm going to come back. Because I know my shepherd, and he knows me. And that Holy Spirit lives inside of me that gives me that desire. Though I may wander like the prodigal son, man, I'm reminded at some point where I'm reminded of the goodness of my Lord and that Jesus is my Lord is, doesn't cause me to lose out in life, but it's a tremendous blessing. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. I mentioned this verse last week, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Like my Father who's given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You know, I find it interesting, whenever you're reading a passage of Scripture and something is emphasized twice, you know what that means? Pay attention. That's what that means. So Jesus mentions, listen, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. And let me elaborate on that amazing idea. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. He's greater than any sin that you've committed. Do you hear me? If you've placed your faith and trust in Christ and you've wandered away and you've committed sin and been rebellious, listen to me, your sin is not greater than your Savior. He's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of his Father's hand. I and the Father are one. It's interesting that I came across this, that there was an image captured a few years ago, actually in January of 2014, by NASA's Nuclear Spectroscopic Telescope Array. I'm not going to say that again. The image captured by a telescope shows a nebula, which is a cloud of pillar and or a cloud of gas and dust in outer space that came from an exploding star. And the explosion was 17,000 light years away. Like super far away. Very scientific term, super far away. The nebula is powered by a dead spinning star, right? So that's what's powering this cloud of gas and dust. The, star, the spinning star was called PSRB1509-58. But look at it. The diameter of the cloud is 12 miles. Does it symbolize anything? Does it look like anything? They actually called, it, called this nebula the hand of God. And so when I read John 10, verses 29 and 30, that says, no one's able to snatch them out of my hand. And then Jesus repeats it, man, my Father is greater than all. No one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I see a picture like this of this cloud being 12 miles long, though it's not literally God's hand. I'm just reminded once again that God is so much bigger than I can even fathom. And let me remind myself today of the beautiful reality that Jesus is my Lord and he supports me with his strength as I walk this Christian walk for him. He's the one that sustains me. He's the one that gives me strength. 
And if I'm struggling today and if I've wandered away, I don't need to get saved again. What I need to do is I need to confess my sin and get back, in, get back into relying on his strength to live this life. He's able to keep me from stumbling. I'm eternally secure in my salvation, not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's the first thing I see in this passage that Jesus, my Lord, does for me. And he does for you if you've placed your trust in him. Here's the second thing. Jesus, my Lord, celebrates me because of his salvation. Why do we read these two verses every week? Because they provide us such hope when we walk out of those doors. They ought to provide you such hope as you live your life for Jesus every day. They remind ourselves that we don't lose out in life when Jesus is Lord of our life. He celebrates me because of his salvation. Look at what it says, the second part of verse 24. Not only is he able to keep me from stumbling, but look at this. This, this blows my mind. He presents you blameless. He will present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Like there's going to come a day when Jesus calls me home and says, all right, Johnny's lived his life, the years that I've set, he's done for me what I've called him to do, I'm taking him home, that I will be presented blameless before God in the presence of his glory by Jesus with great joy. He celebrates me because of his salvation. That word present literally means to make you stand. Now when you look in the Old Testament especially, and all the times that people were presented with a theophany, in other words, a visual representation of God, whether it's Moses at the burning bush, whether it's the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, whatever it is, man, people hit the floor and they're totally freaked out. Why? Because they're in the presence of a holy God. Moses, when he goes up on Mount Sinai, he has to see God and God just says, man, I'm just going to show you my back. And Moses' face shone so bright that when he came down from that mountain, he had to put a mask over it so, he was, so other people were able to be in Moses' presence. But what I love here is because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me, when I pass from this life to the next and I stand before God, I'm not going to stand before God scared, but I'm going to stand before God saying, God is my Father and I'm accepted by you, not because of me, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, that I'm going to be able to stand in God's presence. And I'm going to be blameless. That word literally means without fault. Hebrews 12.2 says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and then it says this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Here's the joy. Here's the joy that got Jesus through the suffering and the cross. Here's the joy. It was the privilege of presenting you before the Father. Did you get that? That the joy that got Jesus through the pain and the suffering and the cross and being separated from God when God could not look on the sin that was on Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, that joy was him looking forward and thinking that I'm presenting to God one day every person that places their faith and trust in me. That 
joy was that Jesus knew that one day he'd get to say to God, here's my son or my daughter. I'm just like... Like, you struggling this morning with your self-worth? You struggling this morning with, with some emotion or whatever it is? Man, bring yourself back. That Jesus is saying here, you know what's my joy? You know what I, we get to look forward to? Is that Jesus can't wait to present us before God the Father. He can't wait not the only place that this analogy is drawn in ephesians 5 when paul's talking about husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and that amazing bar that god has set for us guys if we're married that ought to drive us to our knees he also says this paul says this that jesus making this analogy of marriage so that he might present the church his bride to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she, speaking of every person that places their faith and trust in Christ, drawing that bride analogy, that she might be holy and without blemish. What does Jude say? That he's going to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So Paul draws this analogy of a marriage. And just think about it. Remember, guys? Remember when you're standing there in front of that whole church of people or on the beach or wherever you got married and you're standing in front of your guests and your friends and your family and you're standing there and you're nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs, right? And you're standing there and you can't wait, what? You can't wait, what? To see your bride. And do you ever sit in a wedding and you're like, man, I want to see the bride and how beautiful she is? but I kind of want to see the groom's reaction, right? And you're struggling, like I'm looking at her, and then I want to look at, at him. Remember that? Man, I remember when I got married to Lori. It'll be 18 years in July. So that's Lori and I. That's me with hair, right? <laughs> and we, I, was, I was 22 and about to turn 23. Lori was 22. And I remember standing there, and it was the hottest day in July, and we were in a church with no air conditioning, and I was just dripping sweat. Everybody thought I was crying. I just let them go with that. But I remember standing there, and I remember the first time I saw Lori, and man, I was like blown away. And I was so excited to be able to say to everybody else, hey, hey, this is my bride. Yeah, this is my bride. Like, I married way up. This is my bride. And think about it, guys. Remember back to that, man, you were as proud as a peacock. You thought you were the man. Like, you got the bride, and everybody else was wondering, how did he get her? But you got the bride, and you were so proud. It was joyous. And Paul draws that analogy of the joy of a groom to be able to say, there's my bride. She's pure. She's beautiful. She's without blemish. She looks perfect. And Jesus is saying that he can't wait for the day that he gets to present you before God, blameless, 
He, wants, he can't wait to celebrate you and to celebrate me, not because of what I've done, not because that I'm perfect, because Jesus was perfect for me. That ought to blow your mind. That ought to encourage you today that Jesus desires to celebrate you because of his salvation and not in a narcissistic way that, oh, I can't wait to be the center of attention. That's not what I'm saying. But in a humble way, in a way that blows your mind, Jesus wants to celebrate me. Jesus wants to celebrate me. And look at what Jude says. He says, hey, let me remind you who Jesus is. He supports you with his strength. You can rest in knowing that you are eternally secure in your salvation if you put your trust in him. He celebrates you because of his salvation. And why? Well, Jude says, he says there, he's able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And look at this. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That the only reason I can have hope today in knowing that Jesus supports me with his strength, that Jesus celebrates me because of his salvation, is because of the blessing of knowing that Jesus is my Lord. So what's my response to all of this? Like when I walk out of those doors, how do I live my life in light of this? And I want to give you just a few things. There's three things that I see in verse 25. That Jude says, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, and he says, be glory." Be glory. Why should I give him glory? Because he supports me with his strength and he celebrates me because of his salvation. He's Lord. So what's my response to Jesus' care and generosity towards me? Here's the first thing. I live solely, keyword, solely for his glory. Nobody else. I don't live for you. You don't live for me. I don't live for my spouse. I don't live for my kids. I live solely for God's glory because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. He alone, look at what it says, to the only God. I love 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Where it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. You know what whatever means? Here's what it means. Everything. 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 Everything that I do ought to be lived for the glory of God. Here's what that means. I work. Ought to work for God's glory. I'm married for God's glory. If I have kids, I parent for God's glory. I confess and repent of my sin. Why? For God's glory glory i laugh for god's glory i have fun for god's glory i eat for god's glory i drink for god's glory whatever i do i do for the glory of god i live solely for his glory like if I'm hanging out with a bunch of friends and we're having a good time, that ought to bring God glory. That to see people of God enjoying one another, that brings God glory. 
Bring God's glory to, give, to love your wife, to take her out on a date, to have a good meal, to have a good drink. Whatever it is, it says it according to this passage of Scripture. Whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. Why? Because I understand what Jesus has done for me. His care, His generosity. He supports me with His strength. He celebrates me. I'm going to live solely for His glory. Here's the second thing. I live thankfully giving him praise. Because it just doesn't say be glory, but then it says majesty. That word means greatness. Like I live thankfully giving him praise. Here's the way to say it. My life ought to be a doxology of praise. Like I ought to live my life in such a way that I'm looking for every opportunity to give God praise. My praise for God should not be 20 minutes of a worship service. I've said this before. My worship ought not just to be a set list. It's me living all of my life as a doxology of praise. Because here's what praise does. Praise drives out negativity. You ever find that? I can't praise God and at the same time have negativity in my heart. Can't do it. That's why some of us walk in here and we're like, look like we've been sucking on a lemon for three weeks. And we're like, man, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Why? Because you can't be negative in praise at the same time. And that's the beautiful thing that when I remind myself that the blessing of Jesus being my Lord, it produces praise. It says, Lord, I'm, I'm reminded once again of your greatness, of your majesty. Here's the third thing. I live joyfully under his authority. Key word, joyfully. Not begrudgingly. Goes back to the main idea that we gave. I don't lose out in life when Jesus is Lord of my life. So I live joyfully under his authority. Like why would I not want to joyfully live under the authority of someone who supports me with his strength, that holds me in his hand, that nobody can pluck me out of his hand? Why would I not want to joyfully live under the authority of someone who desires to celebrate me, that the motivation for him enduring all the suffering of the cross was knowing that he would one day present me like a groom does with his bride? Why wouldn't I want to live under that authority? Man, I want to live joyfully under that. I love what Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 and 30 says. Take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn from me. Like what's the devil love to do? Thinking I'm going to lose out on something. Like I'm missing out on something. When I live my life that represents that Jesus is Lord of my life. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to understand. I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't mean that we won't have struggles. Doesn't mean that we won't be tempted. Doesn't mean that we won't have hard things to have to endure. But the beautiful thing in knowing that Jesus supports me with his strength every step of the way, that I know that when I pass from this life to the next, that I will be presented before God, blameless before his sight, that Jesus desires to celebrate me in God's presence. And so I joyfully live under that authority like I would joyfully live under an umbrella in a rainstorm. That when it's pouring down rain and it's thundering and lightning, I don't look at living under this thing as bondage. I actually live under this thing joyfully saying, this is protecting me from the things that I don't want to experience. 
That's what God wants to remind us of this morning, that me living under the lordship of Jesus Christ is not a burden, man. It is a blessing. It's a blessing. And when I make the choice and say, no, 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 I'm going to live outside of that and I'm going to do my own thing, man, that's when I start losing out in what God wants me to experience in my life. But when I place myself under his authority and say, this is a joy, Like, it's a joy that I'm going to say no to that and not conduct my relationship with my girlfriend or boyfriend that way. Like, that's a joy to say no to that because I don't want to experience the deep wounds and consequences of living a relationship outside of what God's word says. Man, it's a joy for me to live under that protection and that authority so that I love my wife and and am the husband that God desires me to be in the way that he wants me to be according to his word. Like, That's joyfully living under his authority because I know that's really what I want. I want that type of relationship that glorifies God, not living outside of here in infidelity or betrayal or or whatever it may be. And I want to live joyfully under his authority. Like I want to be able to say, wait a minute, dominion and authority, living as Jesus is Lord, I want to recognize that and that's going to be my reality before all time and now and forever amen so as we close this morning i want to ask you this question now i've had to ask it to myself does my life reflect the reality that jesus christ is my lord have i wandered away and forgotten the amazing blessing of Jesus being my Lord? Have I thought that I've committed a sin that's too great for God to forgive? No, no, no. It says in John 10 that, that the Father is greater than all, that no one's able to snatch you out of his hand. Come back. He supports you with his strength. That I can pillow, here's the beautiful thing, I can pillow my head tonight and know that if, that if I die in my sleep, that when I wake up, I'm going to be with Jesus. That I never have to worry when I get in my car and, and some crazy person's driving over here and God forbid I get in a car wreck and I lose my life, that, that I'm not going to be with Jesus forever in that moment. Like when I rest in the reality that Jesus is the one that saved me, and Jesus is the one that gives me the strength to continue to be saved. That gives me tremendous hope to walk with him. That he wants to celebrate me? To present me as blameless before God? Man, I want to live solely for his glory. I want to thankfully give him praise. Man, I want to joyfully live under his authority. Because he holds it all. He holds it all. He holds you. He holds me. He holds this entire universe into play. He holds it all. He supports me with his strength. He celebrates me with his salvation. So I will live solely for his glory. I will thankfully give him praise. I will live joyfully under his authority, acknowledging Jesus stands alone in splendor. He reigns in majesty. His hands formed all of creation. His hands are holding you today. He is your hope forever. He is your sovereign king. He is your friend and your savior, Jesus. He's Lord of everything. Just stand with me this morning. 
And man, if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the one who's forgiven you of your sins, listen to me, if you've done that before, you don't need to do that again. But if you're here today and you've never done that before, man, you can call out to God right now, even in your mind. And it says in Romans 10, 9, if I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that he rose from the grave and that he died for me, I will be saved. And my wife and I would love to talk with you in the lobby. But for the rest of us who are here today, maybe we need to bring ourselves back to this amazing reality. I don't lose out in life when Jesus is Lord of my life. I walk out of here praising that. Supports me with his strength and he celebrates me with his salvation. He holds it all.